0: Much. Everyone praise the Lord. We'll have Pastor come up and preach to us.
1: You know what? <clears throat> Boy, I am behind, aren't I? Elijah, can you pass these out? Mm-hmm. I never set up our afternoon screen there. There's that. Bear with me. Four pages. <laughs> Don't mind the man the <laughs> <laughs> See, I want
0: to I
1: Success. All right. Now if it will just stay operating for us. So I told you last week we would wrap up. This week's uh, wrap up, I think, Revelation 1. We are definitely going to complete... At the glorified Christ. So in Revelation 1. I've been enjoying the book of Revelation, but it is a challenge at times. There are things in this book that can be a challenge. All right, well, uh, let's go ahead one more time. We'll stand together. We'll read verses 12 through 20. Emphasis. Emphasis is going to be on verses 15 and 16, really. Those are the two verses that have what we're finishing up with today. But for context's sake, we'll read all these verses together. So beginning in verse 12, it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went... A sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you again for your word and for the folks that you have here today. I pray that our time in your word would be both profitable, and uh, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and we'd learn some things and, and maybe understand some things and get a clearer picture of who you are. And Lord, I just pray that you'd work in our midst today. Help us to understand what you want us to understand. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see you as you are, Almighty God. And uh, Father, I just pray you bless our time, that it would bring honor and glory to you. We pray these things and we ask them all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. <clears throat> so, in this passage, we, if you remember last week, uh, we talked a lot about the glorified Christ, and uh, we saw how the description, much of the description of Christ, is his. Uh, you know, that the next time he comes, he's coming as judge. He's not just going to be. Uh, who he was the first time he came, the babe in a manger. And we talked about in 1 John, we, or not 1 John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5. We looked at this verse uh, because it tells us who has the authority to bring judgment. It says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Verse 22 is the one I wanted to read. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Uh, so we see that the Son is the one who is given authority to judge. So Christ has been given that uh, by the Father, and we're going to pick up this week with, his, uh, with his, his voice. There we go. I knew we'd get it eventually. Uh, so we're going to pick up talking about His voice. We talked about his hair, we talked about his garment, we talked about his feet. Um, this week we're going to pick up with his voice. So when we read in verse 15, it says, And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. This is a pretty profound and powerful description. We don't always think of it as So because we drink water every day, we don't always think of water as powerful. We just think of it as a, you know, a daily necessity. But the truth is, water is extremely powerful. In one sense, water is necessary to sustain life. If we don't get water, we die. So water is powerful in the sense that we have to have it in order to live. Uh, Do you know how long we can survive without water? three to four days. And that's if temperatures are like medial temperatures. If it's really hot, we can't make it that long. If it's really cold, I don't know what happens. I don't know if you get an extra day or not, but uh, probably if it's really cold, you're gonna freeze and die of hypothermia before you die of thirst, so. Uh, But, (laughs) right, (laughs) So, (laughs) So you know how long we can go without food? We know Christ fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. You can go one to two months with no food. Um, It just depends on... It's funny, because I remember as a kid, we were told we could go one to two days without water, and we could go like four to seven days without food. But I always wondered how that worked when Christ fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, there's a pastor that I uh, have met a couple times, listened to him preach. He's done a 40-day fast at least twice in his life, which That is pretty crazy. Uh, So, it's kind of interesting. I don't know about you, but I think about my hunger a lot of times before I think about my thirst. Like, I I think about my need for food more than I think about my need for water, and maybe that's because I usually have water with me. So, even if I don't have food, I've almost always got water or Coffee, which I know it doesn't quench your thirst, but it's still a liquid that I'm drinking. Uh, whereas food, when I'm hungry, I'm just hungry, right? Uh, you know, but it demonstrates just how how much of a necessity, really, how powerful water is in the sense we can't even make it a week without it. You know, over time, uh, you know, when waves beat against a rocky face, over time they wash. You know, they'll wear away at that stone. Um, buildings. I remember when we were down in Florida last year, it was after a hurricane, and the waves had come in and destroyed some of the buildings along the edge. Uh, you think about, was it, was it Sri Lanka? No, somewhere off the Philippines when they had that tidal wave come in and destroy a bunch of buildings and a bunch of homes and take a bunch of lives. So, water is powerful. It can do a lot of damage. Um, it's interesting that Christ refers to his own voice as the voice of many waters. Huh. Alright, I guess I'm preaching off the screen. These notes didn't transfer either. This is really weird. I don't know what's going on. But. So, Revelation 14.2. Let's look at this one. Revelation chapter 14 and verse number 2. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. So what is this voice of many waters? Well, it's compared also to being like thunder. Uh, I, I know we frequently think about waterfalls. I listen to... so. Well, I was studying the other day, I looked up, I was just trying to find a description of Niagara Falls or of one of the world's large waterfalls because I wanted to see how people described the noise. Well, I kept striking out and then I found there was this YouTube video of a guy who goes to different places in the world that has interesting sounds and he records it and I think he called it binaural or binaural, something like that, which basically meant like he's recording it with his camera, and as he turns, if you have headphones that are stereo, when he turns, you'll hear the sound more in one ear than the other, like so it's to be like you're really there, and I am I put my headphones in and I put the noise cancellation on so I'm not hearing everything around me, and you know, it, I'm sure it's not doing it justice, because it's still not the same as being there, but this was at a... Uh, Victoria Falls in Africa, which is the world's largest waterfall. And the sound surrounds you. You know, there's so much volume that when you get close to it, it's like, even though it's coming from here, it's almost like it's just coming from every direction. It surrounds you. And, uh, you know, I think of, and then, of course, the noise. I think they said Niagara Falls, the noise decibels are 95 decibels. See, I was looking for something like that, and I couldn't find anything. Well, this goes the other way. Okay. The most deafening noise that this person heard was when Niagara Falls froze. Hmm. It stopped flowing. Hmm. Interesting. It was, it was, the quiet was so deafening that they just could not believe how hmm. quiet it could be. Hmm. Interesting. So Yeah, huh, interesting. Um, You know, I think of a waterfall and thunder. It's interesting, I mean, it's not really interesting, I think it's purposeful, because what do we know about thunder? If we've we've been sitting in the backyard before, or even in the house for that matter, and you hear that loud crack of thunder, and where can you tell it's coming from? A lot of times you can't. It just kind of engulfs you. It surrounds you, you hear the crack and it's, Where'd that come from? You know, you, you couldn't point in a direction because it is so loud and it is such a, uh, I don't know, a deep roar that you feel it in your chest as it gets close. So the same thing, I think, with a significant waterfall like that is you're going to feel that in your chest. Um, so it's just, uh, it's powerful. And I thought that was an interesting, as this guy was walking me by Victoria Falls. It was beautiful for one, but it was also just the noise. You can't really hear anything else. All you hear is the roar of those, uh, you know, of the water coming down. I've been at rivers before where it's flowing hard and it's a stony area so it's a rough section of like say white water, it's noisy. Or on a day where there's a torrential downpour and you can barely hear anything but that noise of the, all that water hitting the ground and making the noise that it's making. Uh, Well, his voice is as a sound of many waters. Is it just that it's loud? I don't think so. I think it's also that it is all-encompassing. It is something that when God speaks, when Christ speaks, it resonates in your chest. Yeah. Yeah. It's bigger than Niagara Falls. It literally is around you. Okay. Because hmm.
0: where
1: you're standing, there's like the western Falls. that like the, there's like five different falls. Yeah. So it literally does surround. You. Hmm. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Yep. Okay. See normally I have it here too, but scrap the notes today, I guess, because So yes, it is as though the sound is coming from everywhere. Um, when it's raining, of course it is, because it's falling all around you. But when it's thunder, it's not. It's you know, it's coming from the sky, but it is as though it's everywhere. This is yeah how thunder is too. When thunder cracks, you feel it in your chest, and it is as though it is all around you. Well, see, I guess I didn't need the notes after all. <clears throat> What a powerful description of the voice of our Savior, you know, just that. So a couple, few weeks ago, several weeks ago, we talked about the way, uh, no, we talked about the stars being angels of the seven churches. We've also talked about the two-edged sword in his mouth being the word of God. So we've talked about that several weeks ago. We have not talked about his countenance, which we see here in verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Uh, So we're going to talk about his countenance. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 2. Matthew 17, 1 and 2. It says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Um, So this is another reason, so I know I've shared this before, but it's another reason why I believe there's more to the Mount of Transfiguration than Christ just showing his glory to the inner three. Uh, I think there's more to it than that. Um, I believe he was giving them a glimpse of that day, which is his second coming. Uh, That's what I personally believe. Second um, Peter 1, we jump over here, Second Peter chapter number one verses 14 through 18. Says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So you catch that? Peter is saying, we are not giving you just made up fancy fables, stories, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So how were they eyewitnesses of his majesty? Well, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. On the Mount of Transfiguration. Was there a voice from the Father giving God glory? Yeah, he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. It says it right here This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 18 And this voice which came from heaven we heard when? When we were with him in the Holy Mount. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, he probably did. Yeah, I think he did. This is my beloved son, he him. yeah. So, you know, they're in the Holy Mount. They're hearing the voice. They're eyewitnesses. It tells us that they literally saw the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, now as good as Peter's eyewitness account is, he informs us here that we actually have something better than his eyewitness account what would that be? Well, verses 19 to 21. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, we know, uh, I'm jumping ahead, I don't want to say that just yet. So we know from this statement, and I know I've said this before, but hey, repetition is the key to learning, that this book and the record of this book is better than the apostles' own eyewitness testimony of Christ returning. They saw Christ showed them, His coming, and yet they're saying better than our eyewitness testimony is the Word of God. You know, Brother Mark used that last year when he preached on people doubting their salvation. And I know there was somebody here one of those nights that's not a member, doesn't come to our church, goes to a different church, that was doubting her salvation. And the next night he preached a message on why people doubt their salvation. And... He used this passage, and I thought it was pretty powerful. He said, you know, he said, people doubt sometimes because they can't remember everything about their experience. Or they can't remember, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? This is something that the man at Brother Brooks was struggling with. Uh, You know, we have all these things that people question. Well, why would they question those things? Sometimes it's because of something they heard a preacher say that caused them to doubt. Well, if you don't know the day and the time and the place and you don't remember all those details, well, you know, some people were young when they got saved and nobody said, let's write this down so that you have a record of it. So they don't remember the day and the time. Uh, I don't remember the day and the time. I remember where. I remember the preaching. I remember the Holy Ghost convicting me and drawing me, I remember those things, I, re- I don't remember what I prayed, I don't remember word for word, but I know that I prayed and I asked the Lord to save me and forgive me my sins, so I don't remember all the details. And sometimes people will struggle with doubts because they've sinned, they've struggled, they've gone through a period of dealing with sin, so then they ask the question, well, Am I really saved? If I was really saved, would I struggle with this sin? And he said, Brother Mark brought us to this passage. And he said, you know, he said, more sure than your experience is this book right here. He said, don't trust in your experience. Trust what the Word of God says. And if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and called on him to be your savior, then according to his word, you're saved. But if you're trying to remember exactly how it felt that moment, then you're looking for an experiential uh, peace. And he said, that's, you know, we, we can't always have that, you know. So we got to trust the word of God. And Christ, the living word said, if you believe, All right, so we know from later on in Revelation that when the new Jerusalem is set up on the earth, we will no longer need the little s sun, S-U-N. Revelation 21, 23. Why won't we need the little s sun? Well, it tells us right here. Revelation 21 and verse 23 says, and the city had no need of the sun, speaking of the new Jerusalem, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Whew, the light coming from the Lamb, coming from God, His glory is going to lighten new Jerusalem. So we won't need the sun anymore. So when the Bible says his countenance is as the sun, it's quite literal. Because if we're not going to need the sun anymore, I'd say he's, it's light. Malachi 4.2 says, But unto you that fear my name shall the sun, it's a capital S, sun, of righteousness arise, with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall." But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness rise. Who do you think the Son of Righteousness is? Some people will say, well, that's a, that's a typo. It should be S-O-N, not S-U-N. I don't believe there's any errors in this book. I believe it was purposeful. He is going to replace the sun that we have in our sky right now. Uh, I think God is telling us something there. All right, it's pretty amazing to me. Seeing this incredible description of Christ when he comes back, it's very different than the first time he came. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 53, if we jump over there, we see a description, an Old Testament description of Christ at his first coming. 53, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You recognize he is not going to be so attractive that people are going to look at him and be drawn to him. I, I'm speaking like it's future tense. It was past tense, but this was written before he came. So it was future tense from when this was penned. Verse 3, he's despised and rejected of men. When Christ comes the next time, I mean, we've, we've seen his description. His face is going to shine as the sun. His countenance is going to shine as the sun. He's coming in judgment. If people despise him, it ain't going to matter the next time. If they reject him, they're not going to. They're going to wish they had received him. A man of sorrows. I guess he'll be causing sorrow the next time he comes. He won't be a man of sorrows like the first time. And acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was, notice we're actually at past tense at this point, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. Are healed. He won't be wounded the next time he comes. He will be wounding. He won't be bearing griefs the next time. He's already borne the griefs for those who would receive him before his next coming. It won't matter if people esteem him or not. When he comes to establish his throne, those who are left remaining will esteem him as king. He won't be smitten of God and afflicted. He is going to be exalted by God he's set on the throne so we see this description from his first coming and all that he went through it is very different than the next time he comes and yet so often we think of him as the first time he came and we don't think of him as who he is right now in heaven and who he's going to be when he comes back now thankfully we won't be on the earth when he comes the next time will be coming with him when he comes the next time. And then it describes us and down through the rest of this passage. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so openeth he not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living; for the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him; he hath put him in, uh, put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So we see all that Christ endured for you and I. And yet what he deserves is a throne, but what he took for you and I is judgment. He humbled himself. It's the second Peter 2. He humbled himself to do that for us. But the next time he comes, he won't be humbled. We know that when he comes back, it will be very different than the first time as a babe and a humble servant. We will be the servants the next time he comes. One more thing I want to look at is verse 19. Out of our... Revelation 1. We talked about this early on in the study, so I'm not going to go long on this, but I did just want to remind us. It says, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So the book of Revelation is a record of some some things past. He said, write the things that thou hast seen. It's a record of some things that are presently in John's time taking place, the things which are, and then it is a description of some future things that are going to happen, the things which shall be hereafter. Uh, so, Revelation does have a three part, it is in three parts in that sense that it's got some past things, some present things. We just have to remember present isn't necessarily talking about right now, it's talking about when John was penning it. Uh, that being said, I do think we see some things that are now. Uh, but, anyways, it'll be, it is going to be fun, I think, at times, and other times, it might be work, we'll see. I <laughs> The Book of Revelation, like I said when we started, it can be a challenging book. Um, But it is fun. And it's something that I think is good for us to be familiar with. So there's a lot of fear around the book of Revelation. I had uh, years ago, I remember some people telling me that, you know, they said, don't study the book of Revelation until you are a very mature Christian because it's really scary. There's a lot of things that are very intimidating and fearful and that we need to be afraid of. And I'm reading it now going... Well, for Christians, why do we need to be afraid of it? Because we're not going to be here for all the judgment that's going to be poured out on the earth. Uh, So right doctrine, you know, right division will help us to understand what's going on and that it's not stuff we need to be afraid of. All right. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and we can fellowship as we dismiss. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the good day we've had. Thank you for the folks that are all here, Lord. I just pray you'd give us a good remainder of our day. Give us safety. Give us a good week. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live for you. Help us to honor you with our lives. Help us, Lord, to strive to have a testimony that brings glory to you, that points others to Christ. And Lord, ultimately, help us not to focus on our own glory and our own uh, recognition or reputation, but Lord, help us to strive to uh, glorify you with our lives. Father, I just pray you bless our day. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.